You don't have to make excuses for it. Look at Job. His houses are burned. His children aren't sick with the flu. They're dead. Not one of them. All of them. They're buried and their graves are fresh. He doesn't have any Advil, no bear, no Tylenol, no Nuprin. He's got a piece of broken pottery. And with that, he's scraping his boils. I don't know how good that is stand up in your conference. He's scraping his boils. He's got no preacher, no prophet. He's got no Sunday school quarterly. No Matthew, no Mark, no Luke, no John. Written in the second millennium before Christ, the oldest book in your Bible. Look at him. He's sitting on the ash heap of wreck and ruin. Everything that he has is gone. He's got no Trinity Broadcasting Network, no Charisma Magazine. He did, however, have a few friends. And his wife, in an act of mercy, came to him and said, Job, why don't you just curse God, hurry this process along, and die? But here, Job, I can't do it. Because I know something. He didn't say I could ask somebody. He said, I know something. I know my Redeemer liveth, and in my flesh I shall see God. And though he slay me, yet shall I serve. in the Soviet Union I went back to my bed and God said I want you to go back to America and do what you did we watched the first three people we prayed for the least of which had been in a wheelchair 22 years we watched all three of them get up and run out of their wheelchairs run around the building we saw we saw over two-thirds of the entire congregation give their lives to Christ and be instantly baptized in the Holy Ghost they got up from the altar went out in the street men in red army uniforms stopping buses in the middle of the streets of Leningrad and climbing on the bus and telling the story they just heard in that building and city busloads of people getting on their knees on the bus and giving their lives to Christ. Nobody took them through the Roman road or four spiritual laws. They got what they came for. God, I came to preach tonight. I went back and laid down on my bed and God said, I want you to go back to America and do what you did tonight. I said, you mean the preaching thing? He said, no. I said, you mean the praying thing? He said, no. I said, you mean the baptism and the Holy Ghost thing? He said, no. I said, what do you mean? He said, I want you to do that Bible thing. I want you to hold up a Bible. America has forgotten what it is. I want you to hold up a Bible and tell America to get back to Are you in a hurry tonight? Because I'm not lathered up yet. Are you, are you doing all right? Look at your neighbor and say, are you all right? I only got one night. That's all they invited me. I'm 
I'm still talking about the Bible. Job! My ever-living Redeemer, for I know my Redeemer liveth. But in Psalms, He's the Lord my shepherd. He anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over. <laughs> Shout ye! He prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Oh, hallelujah. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he'll be wisdom to you. Say wisdom. In the song of Solomon, he's the lover of the bridegroom. In Jeremiah, in Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. Jeremiah, the righteous branch. Lamentations, the weeping prophet. And Ezekiel, he's the wheel that turns in the middle of a wheel. In Daniel, he's the wonderful four-faced man walking through the fiery furnaces of life and commanding the crackling flames that they do not kindle upon you. Hosea, boy, here's good news for some of you. In Hosea, he's the husband forever married to the backslide. But in Joel, he's my baptizer in the Holy Ghost. Amos, my burden bearer. Obadiah, the mighty to save. Jonah, my great foreign missionary. Micah, the messenger of beautiful feet. Nahum, the avenger of God's elect. Habakkuk, God's evangelist, crying, revive thy works. In the midst of the years in Zephaniah, he's my savior. Haggai, he's the restorer of the lost heritage of Israel. Zechariah, a fountain opened in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. In Malachi, the Son of God, arisen with healing in his wings. Matthew's Messiah, Mark's wonder worker, Luke's Son of God, John, Son of Man, Acts, baptizer in the Holy Ghost, Romans, my justifier, Corinthians, my sanctifier, First and Second Thessalonians, he is my soon coming king, First and Second Timothy, the mediator between God and man, Titus, my faithful pastor, Philemon, the friend that sticketh closer than a brother, Hebrews, the blood of the everlasting covenant. James, my great physician, for let them call upon the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with their oil and pray the prayer of faith and the, faith, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them. Peter, my great shepherd, first John love, second John love, third John, he still love. Jude, the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. And in Revelation, I saw heaven open and he that sat upon a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness doth he judge and make war he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in linen fine and clean and out of his mouth proceeded a sharp two-edged sword that with it he should smite the nations and he did rule them with a rod of iron he did tread out the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God and upon his vesture and upon his name a name inscribed King of Kings and 
You think we ought to get the Bible back in our doctrine? Somebody shout amen. Then they've tried to take the born again experience from us. Give me that plank. I didn't come to give you nothing deep. Most of you said deep, you're stuck now. Everybody wants to prophesy. Everybody wants to talk in tongues. Everybody wants a new revelation. Everybody wants to preach. But nobody wants to live right. What I'm talking about is the born again experience. making a decision you make a decision at McDonald's whether you want a quarter pound or a Big Mac I'm not talking about a decision I'm talking about a conversion we have faulty conversions because we preach a faulty gospel Charles Finney said, did ever the weight of your sin go so far above your head that you could not bear to raise your head because of the weight of your own transgression against God? He said, if you have not, then under God do not call yourself a Christian for only a sinner needs a savior. Here stands God tonight with pardon in one hand and a sword in the other and bids the sinner repent and receive pardon or refuse and perish. Where is this gospel in America? Where is this gospel on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox? You can't even find it on the Christian network. Are you listening to me tonight? I didn't get in that way. We waste good tithe dollars on follow-up. This is a new term. Follow-up. What are we following up? When I was eight years old, Shirley Caesar, my mom and daddy being good Baptists, took me to a Pentecostal revival meeting with a woman preaching that we didn't even believe in. I'm coming now. Let's just go ahead and have church tonight. You want to do Yeah. We were in a building as big as half this choir made out of concrete block painted church basement blue 
Some of you know where I'm talking about. We didn't have no TV lights. We didn't have no carpet on the floor. We didn't have, we had an old two by six bench with two by four legs holding it up. We had a cord strung across the ceiling and the cord hung down and a 45 watt bulb screwed in the bottom of it because we couldn't afford a 60 watt. But oh! <laughs> that woman, <laughs> she'd been someplace talking to somebody. And when she came into that pulpit, she came like Moses with a face shining like a noonday sun. She began to sweat and preach and prophesy, dance and talk in tongues. I went to tugging on my mama's dress table. Eight years old, tugging, Mama, yes, son, Mama, can I go to the altar? She was a good mama, still a good one. She asked the right question. She said, why? Why? I said, because I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. I made my way to that altar at eight years of age. That was 30 years ago. I never backflipped. And nobody ever come to me and said, you ought to go to church on Sunday. At eight years of age, I started looking in the newspaper, trying to find a revival meeting to go to. Honey, if you get what you came after, you'll come back for another drink. If you're glad you're saved, get on your feet and shout about it. A figure standing on Pilate's parapet. You've been told it's him, but you can't believe it. You can't believe that it's he that walked on blue shores of the Galilee and manifested a mastery over demons and depravity and disease and the tomb of Lazarus even over death itself. You saw him walk on the water. You saw him stop the woman's issue of blood. Your eyes strain to see him as the sun begins to rise. You, you're amazed, but you agree it is him. It's him. He looks more like an animal than a man. His face beaten by 614 Roman centurions. They have wrenched the beard from his face. He has felt the lictor's lash and fallen under the weight of that cross three times. He lays out his arms and crosses his legs. They pierce his body. They swing him up between heaven and earth and the pitiful Palestinian sun beats down into his open wounds, gaping until it feels as though the very flames of hell itself have embedded themselves in the flesh of the only begotten Son of God. He cries, I thirst. They give him vinegar to drink. Mary Magdalene, who had watched him take his, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, who had watched him take his first breath, now watches it takes his last. He exhales and says, it is finished. 
But just before he does, one crimson red rivulet of blood drops from his cheek and splashes to the sandy ground around Calvary's rugged beam and screams out from the dust of the earth which he had created, I'm doing this for you. One drop of blood. Just one. Just one red rivulet of crimson blood can free the entire human family of its plague. But it's not some other way, it's only by the blood. There's no salvation in a Shinto shrine, none in a Hindu cow, and you can lick a new age crystal till your tongue falls out. And it won't save you. But if you'll go to the cross, I said if you'll go to the cross, can I get a witness in this building? say we get back to the blood I say we get back to the cross I say we get back to a born-again salvation experience that hell can't shake is anybody in the building going to agree with me tonight I'll tell you what else we need we need the baptism in the Holy Ghost preached about a little bit I'm not talking about your little Shandai, Rondai, tie my bow tie, take a ride on my Honda. I'm talking about something that your Bible said in Acts chapter 1 you shall receive power, 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 wonder working power. The Holy Ghost just come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. I don't care how much you talk in tongues. Who have you won to Jesus this week? I don't care how much you prophesy and polish your armor. Who'd you bring into this building tonight that needs a savior? <laughs> Honey, there wasn't nobody ta taught me to talk in tongues. Nobody said, uh, now repeat after me. I was a Baptist boy. 18 years old went into a building like this one and saw people talking in other tongues and knew they had some I didn't have and I wasn't just about ready to leave there without it that preacher prayed with me for two hours and 45 minutes after the service he said just take it by faith I said I don't want it by faith I want it now I want it now I want it now When I said now, something hit me. I don't mean it touched me. I mean something hit me in the top of my head and like electricity shot out the bottom of my feet and something raised up on the inside of me that was bigger than me and started talking. Does anybody remember when first you received the blessed infilling of the
and love people you hate. I'm talking about something make you lay your habits down. I'm talking about a baptism of fire that'll burn the chaff out of you. I'm talking about God get you down there on the floor and roll you around for about five hours. And when you get up, you'll be different than when you went down. I'm talking about Terry. Some folks say, well, we don't have tarry anymore. No more, no more, no more. Just get it right now. Just get it right now. Just repeat after me. Some of you need to tarry a while. Some of you need to wait a while. Some of you need to know what it means to get in the altar, not just pay a visit. I mean, get in there until you come out and you've been changed by the power of a resurrected Christ. Somebody praise him. I'm talking about tongue talking. I'm talking about prophesying. And that don't mean stand up in church and say, Thus saith the Lord, sister, yay, yay. That's not what we're talking about. The Hebrew word is naba. It means to rave like a madman and play the part of a fool. Anybody ready to get foolish for Jesus? Anybody ready to get skunk drunk on the Holy Ghost? When you get drunk on the Holy Ghost, everybody looks good. It's closing time. and don't know your way here but you got somebody to lead you when you get drunk on the Holy Ghost you love everybody when you get drunk on the Holy Ghost you're like an old drunk sitting on a bar stool giving away everything he's got everybody's his buddy and nobody's his enemy my God hug somebody right now in the Holy Ghost hug them bunch I've ever seen. Prayer. Prominent theologian just released in his periodical said Professor Cursip was his name. Why not use a prayer wheel, he said, like Vanna White. Yeah, just spin the thing. He said we go through the motions of prayer but we do not and we cannot expect results. Prayer, said he, is doomed. <laughs> hey, Dr. Dumbbell, Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Show the great and mighty things out the us not listen somebody's face get ready to grow 
prayer. All I can find is a God that says you have not because you ask not. All I can find is a God that in Mark chapter 11 verses 22 to 24 says have faith in God. He didn't say rod. For truly I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. How many got a mountain tonight? Say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. Didn't say anything about your mind. He said your heart. Your mind will tell you anything in the world. And your heart will scream louder than your mind. Because your Bible said the spirit of a man shall sustain all his infirmity. Your spirit can make your mind go south for the summer. Are you listening? listening to me right now your mind can say it's not going to happen your mind can scream I'm never going to make it and all the while your spirit's saying you better not be telling us that we're already walking on the water I'm here to tell you tonight prayer works for truly I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain be not removed that cousin to see it shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things that he saith shall come to pass. He shall have. Therefore, what things whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall. Didn't say you had them today. Said you shall have them. Didn't say you have them at this moment. Said you shall have it. It don't matter what you got right now. It only matters what you shall have. God's not a man that he should lie. He's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. Does anybody in this building tonight believe in a prayer answering God? Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. That bids me from a world of care. Bids me at my father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seas, where would we be without prayer? In seasons of distress and grief. And they looked at my little boy last week and said, incurable. When I held my baby in my arms and they said, no treatment. When I hugged his little body and they said, no hope. I walked outside that hospital building. I got in my car and closed the doors. And I escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Somebody shout amen if you know God tonight is hearing your prayers and answers. My heavenly father knows the need before I pray. And tonight I rest assured the answer is already on the way. Are you tired yet? Oh. 
I'm doing all the work. and carried all our pain surely where there's doubt concerning the perfect will of God to heal you you'll never be healed for healing is not a promise it is a Calvary fact if God hadn't wanted to heal you he shouldn't have there are only three questions concerning divine healing the first asked in Mark chapter 1 by a leper came to Jesus and said, will thou make me whole? The only place in the Bible anybody ever asked Jesus that, I wish these theologians would learn to read. Well, God's just trying to teach me something. Why don't you learn? Come on. Will thou heal me? And Jesus answered, I will. The second question, a man brought his son to Jesus. He said, I've taken my boy to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. Humpty Dumpty fell off a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Always hated that when I was a kid. Always asked my mom, how come they didn't take Humpty to the king? What are they messing around with horses and men for? Why they take him to the king? Talk to me, somebody. Jesus said, you took him to my disciples. He said, yes, but they couldn't do anything. I love what Jesus said. He said, don't worry about that. Bring the boy to me. Are you ready to take your situation to Jesus? Are you ready to take it to Jesus? The man looked at Jesus and said, if thou canst do anything heal him have compassion on him and jesus pointed his finger under the nose of that man and said it's not a question of what i can do only of what you can believe for all things are possible to him that believeth family in my church had a little son born head swollen larger than its shoulders this time last year Inside, kept alive by artificial means. Nothing inside that globe but water and fluid. No brain stem, not a brain cell. 
They brought that little blessed baby for prayer. Four weeks later, they brought him into the building. Head normal size. They said, Pastor, here's the doctor's report. Handed me the doctor's report, showed the CAT scan. The one before where there was not a brain cell, not a brain stem. Now they showed me this one. And Cody's brain now had a brain stem, a fully formed brain, completely operational, completely functional, as normal as any child that has ever been born. Don't tell me God's not a healer. If he healed Bartimaeus, he'll heal you. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm closing. It takes a while. I believe, Bishop, we had a greater impact on the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ when we preached these messages. America, America could care less what current gift you're operating in. They want a way out of their mess. And this is the way. Deliverance from demon powers. I don't care if you're bound by crack. I got a girl singing in my choir. Came to my altar, 98 pounds, three kids taken away from her by the authorities, on her way to jail, supporting a $300 a day crack cocaine habit. She knelt at an altar, a prayer came in on the inner city bus. Less than six weeks later, she was singing in the choir. That was two years ago, and she's not had a hit of crack since then. I'm telling you, Jesus is a deliverer tonight. This is it. This is it. I got a lot more to preach, but I only got one more plank. If anyone moves on me now, I'll call you down. I'm not playing. What are you in such a hurry to get back out to hell for anyway? We got the glory in here. We got the presence in here. We got the victory in here, the joy in here, the blessing in here. Where are you going? I'll tell you what we ought to hear a little more preaching about. Eternity. We hear a lot of preaching about how to get along in this world. Not a whole lot preparing us for the next one. There is a place called hell. I preached on it the other night in the Bahamas. The chief of police of the entire Bahaman Islands knelt at the altar and gave his life to Christ. I preached on it in Tampa, Florida. And the linemen of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lined up at the altar and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, people will respond to the gospel if they hear the gospel. Jesus preached nine times on hell and one time on heaven. How's that stack up with your pastor? Preacher's afraid to preach on hell. A prominent minister got me in a bathroom at a major convention. Looked me in the eye and said, I saw your program last week. I said, thank you. I don't deserve for you to watch it. I hope it blessed you. He said, well, you were preaching on hell. I said, is that right? I've been known to do that. 
he said that he said you know that's the most negative message in the bible i said not for the 300 people that got saved it wasn't The smoke-filled corridors of the doomed and the damned is a reality. A place for the incarceration of the mortal souls of humanity where they will never die. No reprieve, no stay of execution, no letter from the governor's office. You say your friends will be there, you're wrong. Hell is a place of separation. Of darkness, hell is a place. You're not going to have a party. People say, I can only imagine what the prayers in hell would sound like. You're imagining something that is impossible. There are no prayers in hell. There's only the cursing and the damning of the name of God that people perceive sent him there. There's only the spewing of blood as men gnaw their tongues for pain. The Bible said that the smoke of their torment raised up under the nostrils of God forever and forever. Falling helplessly and hopelessly through the eternal ages of endless eternity. Grasping for something and nothing is there. Burning not only by the flames, but burning by the passions of desire that sent you there. By the way, what are you going to hell for? The Bible says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Or what shall it profit a man? Shall he gain Charleston, West Virginia and lose his soul? Just as surely as hell is a reality, heaven is a reality. Heaven, you know, streets made out of gold. Heaven, you know, peace, joy, the throne of God, heaven. There are people walking this earth tonight who may never have the chance again to say yes to God and no to the devil. Yes to heaven and no to hell. The number one cry in eternity is I never meant to be here. flirt with that little thing at the office that's not your wife the devil won't tell you where you're going to end up when you take that first hit of crack he's not going to tell you you're going to spend eternity in hell but i'm brave enough and bold enough tonight to tell you that the adversary of your soul has nothing in mind except to drag you kicking and screaming hopelessly and helplessly into the darkened corridors of the devil's abyss to spend eternity Your Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Jesus is coming faster than a hoof ever struck the pavement or a wheel ever turned upon an axle. He's coming. It may be tonight. He's getting ready to slide his long, lean Galilean leg over a steaming white stallion. The crack of his whip's going to billow out like the crash of a thousand cannons. And faster than time, he's coming. And even if he didn't come, 
you may be in eternity tomorrow. I walked into a Sunday night service, World Harvest Church in Columbus, Ohio. When I got there, I walked to the second row where stood my uncle, Willie, 38 years, an alcoholic, not sober one day in 35 years. Until eight years ago, he stuck a bony finger up in the air and said, enough is enough. Embraced the gospel, was gloriously delivered, has never touched a drop, and sits in every service at World Harvest Church on the second row, praising God. I walked, I walked in to shake his hand. As I did, two people over from him was a young man that weighed 320 pounds. His name was Freddie. He was my best friend. 29 years of age, wearing bibbed overhauls, had a beard, had his hands raised. He'd been backslidden away from God, but two weeks earlier had wept his way back into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just because you were saved doesn't mean you are. He stood on this Sunday night, his eyes closed, tears dripping through his beard as he worshiped the living God. I went to the pulpit, preached the sermon, had the altar service, left the building. That was at 20 minutes after seven on a Sunday night. 20 minutes after seven the next Monday morning, I got a call at my home. Pastor Parsley, we need you to come immediately to Grant Medical Center, downtown Columbus, Ohio, to the emergency room. That's the only words I heard. When you pastor several thousand people, you get those calls quite often. I jerked my clothes on as fast as I could because I'm not a shepherd that hates the sheep. I actually smell like them. I went, I went down to that hospital emergency room. They knew me. They met me at the door. They said, Pastor, we need you to go downstairs. I'd been in that hospital probably a thousand times. I knew the only thing downstairs from the emergency room was the morgue. They said, we need you to identify a body. I went down that one flight on an elevator. The elevator doors opened at the end of a dark, cold corridor of concrete block and cement lay a hospital gurney with a white sheet pulled over a body. I walked down that corridor with just myself and the hospital attendant. I pulled back the sheet and there lay the angelic face of my 29-year-old best friend. He was going to work on Monday morning. A young man had an epileptic seizure, came across the center line, hit him head on, and instantly he was in eternity. I preached his funeral. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done. But I preached about a place called heaven. I noticed a young man sitting over in this area. I couldn't help but notice him. Found out later he was 29 years old too. Drove an 18-wheel truck just like Freddie. He too had a beard and wore bibbed overalls to the funeral. Weighed 320 pounds. As I stood at the head of that casket, that young man came to pay his respects. He grabbed the casket, began to shake and tremble and weep violently. I asked him his name. He said, my name's Big Tom. I said, Big Tom, why don't you kneel down right here and give your life to Jesus and you can spend eternity with Freddie in a place called heaven. His knees began to buckle. I was sure he was going to pray. When suddenly his eyes glared at mine, he turned in a spin and ran out the back of that 5,000 seat building. I never saw him again. 
14 days later, I got a call at the church. Could we use the building for a funeral was the request. Certainly was the reply. Do I know the deceased? They said you could. Do you remember a young man at Freddie's funeral named Big Tom? I said, how could I forget? They said he was driving his truck, had a massive heart attack, went over a concrete embankment. His truck burst into flames and instantly he was in eternity. I tell you that story for one reason. I made a covenant with God that I would the first night that I preached in any assembly. I tell you the story of Freddie and Big Tom. You see, I didn't come here tonight to show off my preaching ability. I didn't come here so you'd leave and say, isn't he a good preacher? I came for one reason. Somebody's going to hell and I want to stop them. I want to stop them. By the grace of God, we will. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.